This episode is sponsored by Best of Us. Best of Us is a military veteran community in EVE Online whose name reflects the notion that we potentially lose people who could have been the best of us to a disproportionate suicide rate among our community. They strive to build a strong network of active military, veterans, and friends that reinforce the community's social support network, both in-game and out-of-game. The Best of Us has been around for five years. They have no faction or partisan ties in EVE. They keep their game politics and in-game meta out of their in-game channels. The Best of Us has a partner Discord server with around 250 members worldwide. They have channels on everything from how to deal with the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, professional development tips, as well as various car and truck channels. The struggle is letting people know that Best of Us is here to help. So if you know someone who is active duty or veterans, let Best of Us know about them. You can find Best of Us out of game at discord.gg forward slash best of us or their in-game channel, Best of Us. Welcome to Talking in Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. I'm Matterall, here with Carneros. Morning, everyone. And Elise. Hey, how's it going? Really good, guys. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the terrifying league of Dog Fort from Freight Train Diplomacy. And uh, with us today to talk about that is Kanan. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. Sure, good morning. Well, Carneros, tell us all about this. Oh, okay. All right. So um, for those of you who don't know all the internal politics, um, I'm the CEO of an alliance in the Imperium and uh, Dogfort, as we call them, is a, is a major, is a well-known medium-sized corporation uh, that just left Goonswarm in the Imperium and went off on their own. And this was a surprise to many people. Uh, and just an interesting development. So we thought we want to tell the story here. We want to invite uh, Dogfort to come on uh, and tell us a little bit about their journey, their decision, what they hope to accomplish, where they're going with this, who freight train diplomacy will be. So we have a bunch of bunch of questions. Um, the CEO of, of Dogfort is still Ashcrawl. Uh, he's he's not necessarily their most famous member, though. We have uh, uh, their FCs who are block FCs in the Imperium, or will until were until a week ago, are, are better known in a lot of ways. Kanan, Thomas Lear, Mapache Doom are, are some names you might recognize if you were flying on the Imperium side, or you might have been primarying them if you were on the other side. <laughs> So uh, uh, with us today is there uh, is Block FC Kanan to tell us a little bit about what's going on. He can he can give us uh, the military perspective in addition to just the leadership and, and line member perspective of what this is like. So delighted to have him on. And guys, feel free to jump in with questions and comments and uh, uh, and such as we go to. Just like to say, I like all the names I've heard so far. Kanan's a great name. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, no, and his his fleets are a great deal of fun to fly in. You might, uh, if you have been following uh, SIGs and squads um, inside the Imperium, uh, Kanan and Thomas Lear are 
famous recently for running Liberty Squad. I don't know if that's a name that has. Uh, I, don't know. I mean, Lee's knows it because he has his finger in so many pies. But uh, didn't Liberty attack uh, Horde Space like a year ago? Was that the group that was up there? Yeah, we were one of the driving forces, uh, basically deployed to Yoman, and we're basically just attacking the crap out of Calavella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. Was that a year ago? It doesn't seem like it, but yeah, I think it's been like a more than a year now at this point. Yeah, wild. Oh, one thing. What's the wolf wolf for? Is that some kind of motto, or is that just? A- uh, we're a bunch. We're a bunch of dogs who are basically insane half the time. So they like to express themselves with an obligatory. So there's can a little you, call out, huh? Funny. Can you tell us a little bit about how the corporation has the name, the terrifying league of dog fort? I honestly couldn't tell you that since that was far before my time. Um, Apache and Ash love to tell the story half the time. It was after they had basically moved on from another group and they basically I believe it was they just got drunk in a bar, so to speak, or rather uh, just drunk on cons with each other. And they finally just stumbled upon it. And as soon as they hit upon it, it was like, nope, okay, that's what we're doing. Let's go. And they decided to initially start the corp. Nice. All right. All right. Uh, You also have another little famous uh, thing that you guys do besides uh, RP dog type things. Do you want to tell us about that? The thing about the CEO position? Ah, yes. So basically, the Dogport CEO position is always open and eternal because Ash Girl can't handle dealing with our crap half the time. And so he openly likes to uh, freely advertise that the CEO position is recruiting, and we are always eternally searching for a new CEO to make sure he doesn't have to deal with our crap anymore. It's been a running grit gag for at least four or five years, as far as I can remember. Oh, yeah. I mean, hell, back when we were still in Veil of the Silent with you guys and Bastion and Lawn, we specifically named a station in Veil, the Talk for CEO application station. That's right. I remember now. And I believe we also have a new one now in our new pocket. Nice. Nice. Yeah, no. Please apply it local. I love it. Exactly. Yeah, no, we, we have a bunch of memes and stuff like that that we basically like to fall back upon when we all need to get going and whatnot. I like it. Okay, so let's let's ask you a couple questions. Uh, so, what what made Dogfort leave Delve and Goonswarm? Was it was it more about leaving Goonswarm or leaving the Imperium or leaving Null Block life, or was it leaving the perceived safety of Delve? Not that Delve is all that safe if you look at the killboards, but you know, we won't bring that up. But uh, what what was the motivation uh, for making a change? Yes, I mean, there there was a lot of factors into it, most of what you already mentioned um, kind of factor in it, at least to some point. The only thing that didn't really factor in is the leaving block life. We've never had an issue with block life. It's something we enjoy. Um, I and me and Thomas are both block level FCs. We have Zed, Zintage, both of them are block level FCs, and we all really enjoy that lifestyle. But the thing that made, that ultimately kind of drove, drove us to leave or one of the core motivators was just that extreme level of safety within Delve and the stagnancy that we kind of saw within the Imperium itself. So, I, I mean, I can relate. I can relate. The, the Bastion is deployed to Fountain partly to break, the, break some of the uh, stagnation and to uh, 
you know, have a sparring partner nearby in uh, Fountain Core in Serpentis Pocket. But uh, what? Um, why didn't you guys just go on a corporation deployment uh, like to Vale of the Silent instead of moving all the way up there? So ultimately, um, we didn't do a corp deployment or anything like that because it wouldn't be a long-term solution. I and mean, we had a lot of people that were no longer playing the game. They wanted to come back, but they didn't want to deal with basically what comes with what what comes with being in, in gsf essentially and so we had far less numbers than we actually do right now while we were still within the imperium but as soon as we left and started kind of like having those serious conversations we had a flood of people basically saying hey hey i want to come back if you guys are actually going to leave i'm coming back and so we we basically had to make the choice to ultimately leave and not do something like a corp deployment because it would be better for the long-term health of our corporation. And it would also give us a chance to build something again, which is something that we really loved and enjoyed. And that's one of the main things that we did in lawn back in the day that we haven't been able to really do again, so to speak. Were you at all motivated by um, what Kendar did, I guess a year ago, a little, maybe a little bit more than a year ago with uh, trigger happy. He kind of, it, it did feel like he went on a very similar path. Yeah, it was definitely a motivator. Um, even back then, though, it was something that we we had always been talking about. Hey, do, do we want to leave? Like, are, are we kind of done with this? Do we want to make a go at, a, at it ourselves again? Um, but seeing Kendra kind of do it was a bit of a motivator. Yes, for sure. And then ultimately, a couple of things happened, which ultimately made us commit down that path and ultimately pull the trigger on it. And then it was just a matter of basically just starting to take the steps and make the transitions and kind of wrap up loose ends and all that kind of stuff. And why Veil of the Silent as opposed to somewhere else? And I'm, you know, obviously, you know, Veil of the Silent very well. We both lived there before the Casino War, a.k.a. World War B. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So Veil, Veil and Tribute has... A very interesting ecosystem currently after the glassing of tribute by the imperium just because it's it's basically become a little growing and feeding ground for a lot of smaller entities and stuff like that so it's the type of place that you can very much settle down and go into if you're a smaller entity like a sub 50 man group and stuff like that I and mean, you have groups like road you have groups like unspoken the federated alliance of mafia scum quiet and other groups and stuff like that who have basically just moved in here and they're focused now on small gangs or medium to small sized fleets and whatnot and basically just running around and fight clubbing each other for the most part yeah it it, it does sound like a, a lot of similar names that were around when uh, like the tribute fight club first started with all those uh small to medium sized groups in tribute uh we spoke to a bunch of them and they were like yeah we don't really care about like necessarily living in space and like conquering the universe we just want to have our little piece of the pie and go out on like everyday roams where we get some some medium-sized fights yeah and, and that's definitely true i mean i can tell you very easily like i've been online and active and running more stuff and being more involved in the game more in the past week and a half two weeks than i have been in the past six months at minimum and that's just because there there's such an active ecosystem in this area and that there's always con there's always content of some kind running around, be it solo, small game, pico game, nano, e everything is here. Like you can find any kind of thing that you want to be involved in, save for the really large scale block warfare. So those are all, uh, you just ticked off a bunch of names. Uh, what are those names? Are they gameplay um, styles? Yeah, those, all of those are, are gameplay styles. You have solo, which is 
self-explanatory of pike cooking or nano gang, which is basically like very small groups of just disjointed types of ships that typically focus on just being incredibly fast, incredibly kitey, in basically being able to just zonk anything that comes close to you. And then you have smaller fleet sizes, typically in the realm of like 30 to 50, where you start to get a little bit more organized and it's basically just mashing of mans against each other at the end of the day when uh, all, all is said and done. I just like to think of it as Counter-Strike, but with more people. It wouldn't be an unfair assessment in some ways, yeah. That's funny. Like, so it's this is Vale, uh, and we've done three episodes now on, we call it Vale of the Violent. So look for that on Talking in Stations. We have part one, two, and three, and this is our fourth look at it, but this is uh, all about Dogfort. So yeah, did you already have friends up here in the area when you when you picked coming back to Vale? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things I like to joke about uh, with my group is that Mapache is like one of the most social and friendly guys that I've ever met. And so he basically has friends <laughs> quite literally everywhere. Um, so we have a bunch of we have a bunch of buddies through Mapache and Rook Capel. Um, we also have a couple of people who actually have left Dog Fort and went to Rook Capel. And we also just various people within the corp have friends and whatnot in Rocapel. So we have a pretty, we have a pretty good relationship with Rocapel right now. They're our primary friends in the area. And, uh, they're ones who basically said that, yeah, if you guys come here, we'll, we'll help you get settled. No problem. Nice. Now, did you already have enemies up there as well? Not so much. Um, we didn't really know anyone all that well coming into the area. Like we knew the names, we had a base familiarity with them, but we don't have any like, set in stone enemies or anything like that. All right. So when yeah. it came to actually taking your space or, or getting like a, a foothold, was there empty space? Not, I don't want to say empty space, but was there like unused space that was open for you? Did you have to kick someone out? Did you have to like shove some elbows and throw some fists to, to get your foot in the door? Yeah. So uh, reverberation, uh, reverberation or whatever their name was, was the ones who were originally living in the pocket that we're not showing in. Uh, we ultimately settled on them because they had a pocket down in the entry of Vale, but they also had a secondary one up deeper into Vale. So we basically said, they don't really need two pockets. We're, we're just going to take this other one. They can deal with it. And so as soon as we kind of got settled into uh, our staging area in Losec, we kind of started making forays into toasting their stuff and all that kind of happy crap. And almost immediately, they just showed that they didn't want to deal with any of our nonsense, so to speak. And they would routinely just upship us and fly hard counters against us and stuff like that. And it finally culminated into a little skirmish in Q-L where we basically brought a bunch of frigates. They brought Osprey navies and Orthruses and all that kind of happy stuff to just completely hard counter it. We responded by inviting Unspoken to bring some sacks into the area, wipe them out, just full wipe. They lost the entire fleet. They then responded by bringing like 20, 25 battleships to the fray against a not even 10 men sack fleet and a now dead frigate fleet. At which point we just dropped some capitals and basically said, no, enough is enough. You're dying now. And then shortly after that, they essentially just collapsed due to internal drama and the pressure. That, that sounds very dramatic. Now, very at, short. Yes. At what point in your process of deciding to move out and moving up there, did you hear that snuffed out was reforming? Uh, we heard right as we were moving like we had already made the decision and we kind of started to hear the whispers of it while we were moving it didn't really bother us too much um just because stuff has never really been an entity that's irked me all that much in that sense 
So it has no no impact on your planning. It was just a None. data point. It was well, just a data point. Something let, to go. Huh. Let's okay. explain let's explain why that data point might be important to low set groups. Okay. Well, mind you, this is Veil of the Silent, so it's null sec, but it's uh, adjacent to low sec. Uh, and the path to get there, the well, the nicest path to get there would take you through some pieces of low sec along the way. And it would take you through territory that in the past has seen uh, not just a snuff box presence, but a snuff propensity to try to catch um, capital fleets in transit through the area. And in general, they, they would have a lifestyle of, um, um, I don't know if pillaging is the right word, of a sort of activity, PVP activity that is in keeping with some of the vision that I think uh, Dogfort has for their next level of, of, of active life in EVE Online. So I just wondered if, uh, you know, if they thought, oh, this might be a, uh, uh, like a divine providence that, uh, of a little bit more scale and, and ac action, or if this is a potential threat, or if this is, you know, uh, I just, you know, wondered mm -hmm. what they thought of the whole thing. But snuff is a, is a, um, generally when they're at normal strength, they're an entity to be reckoned with and considered whenever you're moving through low sec in their area. Is that fair, Elise? Yeah, they've got, um, they have a, a sphere of influence around them as well that kind of goes into Veil. Uh, so they, they were uh, kind of notorious for if there, a fight got too big, uh, Snuff would come out and just drop on it willy-nilly, right? So if you used uh, capitals... Uh, snuff were a little bit bigger than you probably, and they would come in and use cap use more capitals against you and wipe out your fleet. So they were kind of just like this constant uh, like echo in the back of your head, like oh, I can't really escalate too far here uh, because snuff might find out and I might die. Uh, at least that's what we heard from a lot of the people um, in the area, especially in the tribute area, and they had like a little cries of rejoicing when uh, snuff eventually clapped. Um, uh, closed down a little while ago because uh, they're like, oh, finally we can kind of stretch our legs and not have to worry about these guys dropping on us all the time. Yeah, and that's so, something that... Sorry. Just for quick comparison, uh, Dogfort is roughly 200 people and uh, Snuffbox is roughly 300 people. FYI. Go ahead, Kanan. Sorry, I was going to say um, that's always kind of been Snuff's motto is that they, they, they very much are bullies in whatever areas they'd like to go into. And they don't necessarily like to kind of limit themselves to what could be considered a, a good throwdown or a good fight and stuff like that. They always do want to just crush whoever they're going against. Like a couple months back, I actually deployed Liberty Squad against Snuff and Penis out just to, you know, have some fun, do some good fights, stuff like that. Didn't want to knock over any structures really, just wanted to go and fight them. And they basically just went ultra, just maximum tryhard against us right away. And it culminated in a fight over a Fortizar where we basically dropped 100 dreads because we knew that they had dreads formed. And even though we had basically even dread numbers and they were going to win the fight, like there was no question they were going to win, they still decided to just drop a buttload of Titans instead. God. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a fair like uh, strategy, right? To take the... Take the fight that you know you can win, and 
at least for, for their perspective, they very much like to be the uh, big fish in the small pond, if that makes sense. Right. So mm. uh, snuff are notorious for that. And it's a, it's a play style that I think a lot of groups have, you know, tried to do, but snuff in their heyday, they kind of just gathered everyone around them. Um, like all the low set groups before snuff, you know, kind of had a little bit of a counter with shadow cartel. Um, we're going back three, four five years now. And they were kind of just always the uh, foil to one another. But then Shadow Cartel collapsed. A lot of those groups ended up joining Snuff, or a lot of those members ended up joining Snuff. And then Snuff became this uh, large fish in a small pond, uh, super dominating the area. Uh, you know, they collapsed uh, or they closed their doors. And now they're reopening them. Uh, hilariously, a lot of them had gone to groups like uh, Trigger Happy Volta. Or, and yeah. Volta. Uh, and so now a lot of those people are coming back. Uh, so we'll we'll see kind of where they where they land. Uh, I know right now they are being very oppressive in the Tama area, which is kind of like their old stomping grounds. So we'll see exactly how oppressive that will be. Yeah, I, I think I wanted to probe into that a bit more because uh, they're kind of a shadow over this whole game style of you know let's let's actually have some fun let's stay in smaller groups let's escalate fights to a certain point and they're kind of a spoiler in that sense they kind of sit on top of it uh and they have for years i think at least two or three years they've played that role um and so now that they're back i wonder how this affects uh, dog fort and other groups like that or what the psychology is when thinking about them being around anyway thanks yeah so well, it's Let's dig into that for a second. Go ahead, Kane. Yeah, so it definitely has something of effect as far as now that they're kind of more stabilizing themselves, we do have to factor them in if we ever want to use capitals and stuff like that. It's just like, hey, do we do we know that snuff is midpointed stuff? Can snuff interfere with this fight? Do we need to worry about them? But in general, they're they're mostly a Euro time zone focused alliance, so we generally don't have to worry about them too much. But any EUTZ groups in the area it is definitely something that has to go into their calculations if they want to get into a bigger fight. And you guys came from the Imperium where it does feel, or at least the perception is, uh, wealth is overflowing all over the place. So I imagine your capital caches and your super capital caches are nothing to, uh, nothing to sneeze at. So you might be uh, that big fish in the big pond, right? That, that may be Snuff right now or a group like, like Snuff can't really drop on you or don't doesn't really want to risk dropping on you because you're uh, similarly sized and, and similarly decked out. Is that, is that a fair assessment or is that just. I, I would say it's, it's potentially a fair assessment, at least in the U S time zone. Um, if they want their Euro time zone against our U S time zone, if that were somehow possible, I don't know that we'd be able to take them, especially in a capital fight, but it's the type of thing it's it's you really have to weigh that question of do you really want to take that risk when exactly you don't have those reserves of capitals and super capitals it's like hey i can throw 100 grids away it doesn't freaking matter because we can all replace them within two days no big although uh just to put the a little things in perspective uh right now snuff has roughly 300 members uh when we were talking about them being the or when i was referring to them as being the the big fish in the small pond they had roughly a thousand members so their size they had they've they are opening the doors again, but they haven't quite uh, reached the, the same levels that they had before. So there's still quite a bit of room for them to grow. Uh, they're, they're not that oppressive right now, but I'm sure they, they know people who know people. You know. They do have a robust bat phone network, if I recall correctly. <laughs> 
but uh, yeah, it's it's going to require an additional uh, set of eyes somewhere if you think you're going to use caps. Uh, so just to make sure that stuff's not sneaking up to uh, spoil your party. Yeah, sound, sounds like fun. So um, now that you, I uh, tell us what your observations are of uh, trigger happy these days. What do you think's going on with them? Do you ever talk to them now that you're up there? Yeah. So we, we, we had an ongoing relationship with them and we kind of like do them, talk to them and stuff like that. Back when Pitts and Kendar were kind of leading things, we had an ongoing conversations with them and whatnot, but kind of now that all those figureheads, so to speak, have left and they've kind of had some internal drama. Uh, we don't really have all that much in way of communication with them anymore. Uh, a couple of us have friends with them and stuff like that, but for the most part, we haven't really reached out or are working with them too much. Roger. What what has surprised you most about the new Veil of the Silent? Honestly, the, the sheer activity is really astounding to me. It is extremely different as far as just like undocking and just running around space and just goofing off. Just seeing the amount of people that are actually active in doing stuff in space as opposed to basically anywhere within block lands. Like you always have a fight if you want to go find one, basically. Nice. It it sounds to me like um, the more professionalized soldiers uh, that might have gone to Providence when they were inexperienced are now in the north in Vale. It could very well be. I mean, Providence used to be a stomping ground for new alliances and new groups that were kind of wanting to build themselves up and stuff like that. But that has definitely shifted over now to Vale and Tribune at large. Yeah, yeah like started with uh, oh, sorry. Like it was a proving ground for your small corporation that had broken off from some other corporation. And this is old Providence. And then once you proved yourself, then you would join a coalition. But you guys have different ambitions. It's almost the reverse. You come from bigger uh, coalitions and you're going back towards the proving grounds, but you've already proven yourself. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. Go ahead, Lee. Sorry. Let's say it does. Uh, when we chatted with the guys from uh, Forsaken Empire who are up in that area as well. Um, they were very much like, yo, we've kind of been there, done that. We've seen it all. Now we just want to go back to what we had the most fun doing. And that in this entire area seems to be a lot of those types of, of or at least like-minded people in terms of that. They're not new player groups. They're a lot of veterans. Um, they know what block life is like. And they said, hey, you know what? Let me, let me look over here because you know, there's a lot of fun going on. And it does seem to be a neat little crucible of uh, of fun action for some like bigger names and, and people who've been there and done that. It's a, it's a very neat little dynamic that I'm glad no one has like ruined. Uh, I know pandemic Legion is habitually, we used to ruin all the good things that were growing in the world. <laughs> so I'm glad that, that no one, like, like if you look around you, there's a lot of big, uh, big blocks. I'm glad no one's come in to like ruin it. Is that a, a veiled reference to the deployment of Pandemic Horde this week to uh, Pure Blind? Uh -oh. I'm sure. I'm sure they're not going to ruin it. They just want to have a little bit of fun. All right, just poking some fun at you, Elise. I don't get a lot of chances. So I see that you guys took um, a lovely little constellation right by the border of Losec, the YUT3 TAC constellation. I remember it well. You're very near the, the P3 gate to Ob. Are you guys in, uh, taking some time to go enjoy some of the festivities in Losec right now? 
with the enhanced warp speed and the drop uh, the drop rate changes for PvP and and the the uh, King of Losec competition. Not really, for the most part. I mean, most of our interaction in Olsic is basically just pop skipping over to Broach's neck of the woods so that we can basically crash one of the parties that they're going to or vice versa. Um, if you're as, listening to it, sorry. As we kind of stabilize, we might start looking into Losic, um in like the next week or two. But for the, for the moment, it's not really too high in the list of priorities to kind of dip our toes into. I say it a little bit for the listeners who... Um, maybe aren't actively playing at the moment and didn't realize that there's some uh, little there's some festivities happening in Losec that uh, they that make it a little bit different. If you undock in Losec, you'll get a new icon on your screen that shows you are warping faster and and just little things that to experience there. Yeah, you actually warp twice as fast, and you wouldn't really think it's that's a big deal, but it's a huge deal. I was in a pacifier going through, which already has a massive warp speed, right? And I was going like 32 AU a second across the system. I barely saw it because it was it just peaked once and I went all the way back down. Um, but there's other stuff too going on in low sec. It started um, last week, I believe, um, where there's increased drop rates. Uh, it's not 100%. I think CZB realized 100% drop rate was a little bit too wonky. Um, but it's still increased drop rate, loot drop rate. So if you're uh, a solo PvPer, you know, the kills that you get will be a little bit worth a little bit more. And that also coincides with the Nifty Losec event called the uh, Champions of Losec that started on the downtime after the 26th. Um, and so there's been a, a lot of action there. People wanting to, uh, to win that event. It ends on the 31st, so not too long from now. I think there are three people probably in the runnings for winning that. I don't know if anyone's actually sat down and done the math to see who's the closest. Um, but uh, Pandemic Legion, for example, moved or at least uh, did a little deployment back to their ancestral homeland of Amamaki uh, to take part in that event. Dock workers live two jumps over in Cormonin, who are very active in the area. Um, Predator Elite is a name you probably heard before. Uh, he's incredibly active and well-known, especially in that pocket, and they've been getting a lot of kills. Uh, snuffed Out also getting a lot of kills, you know, with their or snuff box, uh, with their reformed alliance there. And then Penna's Out is also, like, uh, getting a ton of kills ISK-wise. They're not getting, like, the same numbers, but they're getting uh, pretty big ISK bounties. They had a dread fight, there was a ba- uh, faction battleship fight going down, uh, and the... the l- Low sec events is based on the number of value, the amount of value that's destroyed. So ship hull and items. So it's uh, it's pretty tight at the top there. You're, you're an individual probably will not win. Uh, almost certainly, a small independent alliance will not win either. Uh, but it does seem to be one of those four or five groups that might make it. Yeah, and nice. while they're all vying for it, everyone else can basically enjoy the massive like activity spike and just all the additional bodies in space to blow up. Uh, that also means if, if you are this weekend or this week wanting to fly into Losec from a known choke point, don't. <laughs> There's almost certainly a gate camp <laughs> all over the place. I tried to fly through Black Rise in a comet yesterday, and I was dodging gate camp after gate camp every other system, it seemed. Um, it was horrible. Uh, I died like three times. Just don't, don't go. Don't go. You can't make it. 
Uh, these people are insta-locking. They, they have all the, the cool tricks. Good, good advice. It's just my good PSA advice. until the 31st. Don't try to go through a well-known choke point. Go the, go the back way. Go through old man star. No, one, no one's over there. Yeah, that's safe. <laughs> we can make a virus joke and say, safer at home. Yeah, don't, there you go. Shelter in place. Don't go there. But um, <laughs> sorry, Madderall. Just teasing you. So, no, um, right. so Dogfort has a new alliance called Freight Train Diplomacy. So it's an epic, uh, picturesque name that, uh, you know, uh, it works for us. Tell us about Freight Train Diplomacy. What's the, what's the aspirations? Is it, is it going to grow? Are you going to take in other corporations? Yeah, so we, we definitely are looking to grow. Um, basically, in the long term, we are looking for more of a return to the size of fleets and the scale of content that we typically look at. We just want to do it differently than other groups have. We don't basically ever want to establish a long list of blues. We don't want to balkanize a bunch of regions to basically being on our side and stuff like that. We ultimately almost kind of want to take the black legion approach where we basically have a have a fair number of dudes a fair number a fair amount of muscle and we can basically just go crash parties and stuff like that when appropriate and we get them when we get invited to them i wonder if these groups are are, are short on diplomats it's, it seems like they're mostly led by fcs i could be wrong but it just seems like it's more of an fcs um style than having diplomats kind of work out relationships and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the difference between empire building versus wanting to run around and basically view the picturesque view of the sandbox with uh, one kid wanting to build a castle, another holding a shovel and wanting to smash it to bits. With the diplos and empire builders, you have the one with FCs, you have the other. And so I imagine that a lot of the area, they purposely go without wanting diplos, right? Like that's, that's kind of the, the goal of it. They don't want to have a, uh, and a lot of alliances, diplomats and leaders are, are known as paper pushers and FCs that consider them to be not evil, right? But the, but against a lot of their fun, right? Because they say, oh, you can't shoot this guy. We need this guy to be our ally. Uh, I'm sure the area is filled with a lot of people who are all FC and no diplomats and they want to remain that way. Yeah, well, I mean, all the, all the entities do have their own relative diplomats and stuff like that, but it's a far different scope as far as what they're looking to achieve through those diplomats. With entities like GSF, yeah, you have a bunch of paper pushers and stuff like that, and you have folks that will actively say, no, you can't do that, or, oh my God, why did you do that type of thing? Like, I, I know that there were a number of instances where I was going to do a thing or I was actively running a fleet where I'd suddenly have a diplo just crash in and say, okay, what the fuck are you doing? going to blow up mans who are not friendly with us. And then basically massive crap storms happened as a result. <laughs> isn't that uh, not, you know, not that this is the point of the show, but isn't that kind of what happened to Pittsburgh? Uh, basically, yes. There's a collision of FC that wanted to do some stuff and diplomats that are saying like, you're irritating allies. Well, so I mean, it, it wasn't even so much that. It was an unpublished rule, essentially, or an uncommunicated role rule and pittsburgh ultimately was to be perfectly blunt just a fall guy for the entire situation and honestly that that actually was the final event that basically set in motion us wanting to leave or oh, at least that that's interesting so you might have seen kendar's example but you were already thinking about it but when you saw pittsburgh get kicked out of 
goon swarm essentially or the imperium that was a defining moment for your ideas so it was very much a okay i i need to get out of here i'm i'm done with this attitude and the, this way of doing things essentially because i i honestly viewed that whole incident as just inexcusable and just really shitty to have done to what was just an honest to god content creator that was actively creating fun for your dying entity essentially and so at that point i basically resolved myself to do one final deployment for liberty squad and my guys and then after that i would be leaving well that's interesting because we really i mean we jumped on top of that story to really explore that is this this that dynamic of of what was going on there between FCs that wanted to do some, uh, create some fun, keep the guys active, keep them interested, and the interests of the empire builders that wanted to preserve relationships and that sort of thing. Uh, but that's the angle that we were looking at it for. And we wondered if that would influence other people from other places, not just in Goonswarm and the Imperium, but in other alliances as well. So that was, in your case, that was true. You know, it definitely had an impact. And I've spoken with other people who are very close to the, to the proverbial fence as well. And that definitely kind of shook them, so to speak, as far as wanting to pull that particular trigger. Well, EVE is a complicated game with trade-offs. And you can sometimes uh, find yourself in a position where there's a conflict between short-term fun and long-term objectives. Uh, and in a couple cases... People have wandered near that edge. The fact that there was a Fortazar on the border between Test, uh, between Legacy and Imperium, that we had a set of rules for because it was a sensitive location. And uh, maybe not all the rules were well remembered, although they were in the treaty document. I, it's a, it's a, a part of what they designed Eve for. They wanted you to think about trade-offs when you make it. Uh, and there's, you know, there's in some ways, both viewpoints are right. We do need short-term fun. We do need long-term strategic interests sometimes. Snuff wouldn't say so, but. It is very it, tricky. There is the snuff is snuff. When you're part but, of a larger coalition, there is uh, a lot of friction that happens between uh, your content enablers and, and people that try to, uh, keep the peace around the area for for everyone else and i've i've had my fair share of, of friction being generated even from a mostly pvp alliance uh, when i was leading an alliance back in the days um i know it's not easy to uh to walk that tightrope right you you do need friends and allies but you also do need to have uh keep those people happy so I'm sure it's a, a trade-off that the Imperium was aware would happen, uh, aware of uh, what would happen, like the ramifications. But it is interesting that that was the uh, the straw that that broke the camel's back. There was uh, the Pittsburgh issue. That's very interesting to see. Mm -hmm. But so, Carneros, I'd also like to just ask you, since you're you're a little bit higher up in in involvement of things than I ever was, what's kind of your viewpoints of Jay and John Hartley's involvement in the bomb? Don't you think that they, given that they're in upper leadership and stuff like that, they should have been more familiar with that situation and perhaps taken the blame instead of Pittsburgh getting basically airlocked over it? It's an interesting question. I, I was surprised uh, when I saw that they were there. I don't don't know. They would they would have been aware of the treaty. They would have been aware of 
uh, more details of it. I mean, I, I was aware, um, I was aware of the treaty. Uh, I don't, I was not uh, privy to any of the internal discussions about what happened in the drop. I don't know any of the background details of, of how it worked out. It's possible that, for example, they may have had characters in the fleet, but not have been paying much attention to it. They might've been focused on another problem, but just had their characters in the fleet to, you know, jump in when whatever something happened and weren't, weren't paying too much attention. I know I'll, you'll typically, if you, if you ever see me in a fleet and I'm lagging a little bit behind on the lines or, or I'm still stuck on the last gate, that's because I'm dealing with some other things somewhere else in another window. Uh, so don't shoot me in that case, but, uh, yeah, it, you know, things like that could have happened. I don't know. It's a, it's interesting. It's not really any of my business, so I don't poke my face in. Just uh, it, from a completely, like, if I were to be in that hypothetical situation, sometimes when you have to, when you commissar someone like that, it's not a matter of the act that they did that moment. It's everything that they let up building to that. Um, and I'm not saying Pittsburgh was like this type of person, but if there were some type of person that person that was like habitually line stepping or crossing over the line or getting right up to it and being an annoyance that you deal with over and over again. Um, once he crosses that line, even if there are other people there, he's graded on a different scale and it's not fair or it's not, it's not just, but it, it does make sense in a way. Right. So um, from a complete outsider's perspective, I have literally no idea what, what happens in the inner workings of the Imperium besides um, talking to Carneros sometimes. You don't have uh, any spines in there? Been. No, no, it's too hard. <laughs> too hard. I, will, I will point out that uh, I absolutely love Pittsburgh fleets. They're a lot of fun to fly in. I like the tone of them. I like how uh, things are communicated, the crispness. It's a, there's a precision uh, and a feeling to a Pittsburgh fleet that I enjoy. Other people like maybe more chatty jokes from the FC and stuff. And those can be fun too, but I do absolutely love Pittsburgh fleets and I miss them. I'm glad he's in NC Dot. I'm glad he's blue. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I'm very remiss that I wasn't able to, to poach him back because I definitely enjoy having Pittsburgh around with me. Oh, he's in chat. I didn't realize he was in chat. Oops. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't say anything bad. <laughs> I thought you saw him and then complimented him. <laughs> no. Not the other way around. No. All right. Okay. Um, I see the little cla the little note you wrote to me in the back channel, McLeod, but I don't understand it. But uh, anyway, I think he's so, asking so, you what you prefer. I'm a Vili versus Mister V fleet. I, you know what? I don't think I've ever been in a Vili fleet. Um, I love Mister V fleets. Absolutely love them. I remember those um, uh, European Union. Sake fleets, fantastic. I miss Shadu, honestly. But anyway. Mr. V was one of the most annoying FCs to FC against when you're on the other side because he's so good and so precise. And he also headshots FCs all the time. Uh, does, so does like, uh, I think like no, there are people who do, but Mr. V does it in a way where he waits until you're about to lose to do it. Like he know he knows like the ebb and flow of the the fight that's going on. So he'll wait 
until you're like kind of on the back, about to be on the back foot and then go for the headshot to create a bunch of chaos so he could capitalize on all the kills. He like boiled it down to a pretty good heart. That's why he was super frustrating to fight against. So, and did he, he go wouldn't make mistakes, which is the annoying yeah. part. I love it when people make mistakes and you can just capitalize on them, but he wouldn't. He was like, uh, uh, what do they call him? Ice? Or I forget. Um, well, that's interesting. I, I think we should point that out, though, at least what you just said is there's an ebb and flow to battles. And uh, maybe some FCs will get shot at the beginning trying to headshot you know, the opposite fleet. Um, but usually they're pretty well protected at that point. Iceman, that's what I was thinking of. Thanks, Caleb. Um, but, but he would headshot, uh, the guy at, uh, or the opposing fleet commander at, at a certain point that would create more chaos. That's super interesting tactics. Yeah, for sure. Right? And he did set the tone for a lot of, um, the, at the time the CFC fleet commanders, right? They, they kind of learned from him, even if they didn't, you know, they, they kind of, <laughs> And, and the same is true with uh, with Shadu and PL, right? People, every, everyone that I've seen around Shadu ended up borrowing his style, even without knowing it. He was a huge influence. He's like one of those bands that influences all the other bands, or you know, he was a huge influence, absolutely. But at this point, let's um, uh, transition from our major story, which was the terrifying league of Dogford. And let's, uh, let's go to our new segment and talk a little bit about what's going on in, in New Eden. We already mentioned that uh, Champions of Losec is going on, that uh, Pandemic Legion deployed to their ancestral homeland of Amamake. Um, well, I understand Test is also deployed somewhere in Losec at the moment. Is that, is that correct? I think they Are sent the like SIG into Losec. I, uh, I had the name of the system they read because I had to put eyes there just to keep an eye on them. But... I completely forgot. Um, but I think it's just a very informal SIG that's around there. Okay. Okay. And then um, I, I'm hearing that Horde just deployed over to Pure Blind. So I have to go move some eyes there too. So I know the feeling. Uh, although that's, you know, that's not particularly close to Fountain, but, you know, they're interesting groups. So you have to keep an eye on them. Odacella. 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 Yes. Okay. Nice. Well played. And then uh, what else is what else is going on this week? There was a big fight last night in Esoteria. Is that right? There was I, a think, uh, I think Volta managed to uh, to snap a few uh, legacy uh, uh, supers that were or yeah. a single super that was uh, ratting. Uh, and so Volta called in a bunch of other people. There was uh, unfortunately a Farahol right next to um, Amamaki. So both uh, PL and uh, dock workers were able to get in on the action uh, and a few other people. Basically, everyone that was around Losec uh, could sneak in on the action because the, the Thera network was just lined up perfectly to go against Legacy. And I think they lost a hell on a few capitals. So the dock workers and PL in that case were on the same side instead of shooting each other for once? Uh, <laughs> they were begrudgingly shooting a Legacy Super together. Um, and then as soon as that started, they were like at each other's throats. That there's a certain dynamic there that's uh, amusing. Yeah. Okay. What, what else? Um, mm-hmm. inner, inner hell. Now, are they up to more shenanigans in uh, J-Space as well? I heard they were evicting someone. Do we know anything about that? 
Uh, yeah, let me get the name of who they're evicting, but it looks like there's another victim. This, that's not, it's not unusual anymore. Uh, they're just kind of on a roll. I'll see if I can grab it. Inner Hell has got this, every time we learn a little bit more about them, the more uh, fascinated I am by them, they seem to have struck the perfect balance, right? So they are known as like the bad guys that go around and evict other people. Uh, and then when everyone got all really mad at them and banded together to, uh, to thwart that group, it ended up being hard knocks that got the punishment for it. And Inner yeah, Hell is just totally. sitting in the back like, oh, not us. It's like... <laughs> It's like it's like the guy behind the guy you're having harsh words with reaches around his friend and slaps you in the face. <laughs> so you punch the guy in front of you instead of the guy that slapped you. Yeah. Um, so they uh, looks like X eight seventy seven Alliance um, or the fifty nine P Corporation. Uh, looks like their hole was attacked. But uh, yeah, as if Inner Hell actually Inner Hell did uh, some kind of um, talk with Outer Hell. And we were told they weren't related at all. Uh, but the talk is in Russian. So we're still translating that to figure out what they talked about, see how they're actually related, uh, if they're related. So we'll have more on that a bit later. But if I could go through some of the stuff that we talked about this week, um, there's a lot of videos on our YouTube channel. And I'll just say some of the big topics that are being discussed now, uh, the moon mineral redistribution update uh, just came out. Uh, and I, I believe that hit wormholers probably harder than wormholers and low sec uh, groups a lot harder than anybody else. Do you have any comments on that? I see that wormholers were like really, uh, really disappointed, I guess, uh, because now they have to go back if they want to build uh, capitals uh, in their hole. A lot of it has to do with hauling now, and they have to like haul the, the materials in, if I understand correctly rather than yeah. harvesting it locally or like an adjacent hole. Uh, so it, it became a little bit harder to form or to build up big uh, capital caches in your own hole. Right. And that's kind of what they, they live on is, is building the capitals inside the hole so they can defend themselves or, or even rat in a, in a bigger way. So you need a lot of minerals to do that. But if you have to import them, it's going to be hard to get them through those um, holes, the wormholes. So the so change is a bit of a, yeah, it is a bit, a little bit of a nerf to defenders who got uh, boosted pretty pretty uh, massively with the uh, the frigate hole changes. So, oh yeah, how I, those I work guess, together, right? I, I I think that's at least the idea that uh, they had. I'm sure also CCP just looks at the metrics and when they look at wormholes, they just scratch their heads. They're like, how did these guys keep making money? These guys are just printing money everywhere. Got to got to figure out how to turn off that, those faucets. Well, so the moon mineral update to describe it a bit better is um, right now you can mine for, for miners, you can mine all kinds of things. You can mine asteroid belts, you can mine um, sites that are, I guess, anomalies, but you could also uh, mine moon moons for actual minerals. And instead of just moon mining materials that come off the moon, so do minerals as byproducts. They're really just kind of a waste product, but you know, you collected those. So if you were, if you had a moon that you were mining, you could be self-sufficient. You could get T2 material, stuff that builds tech two equipment, and you could get the material, the minerals that build tech one. So you had them both. And so CCP has just eliminated the byproducts. So you cannot get T1 materials uh, or T1 minerals off no, your they, moons anymore. 
they haven't just removed it. That's supposed to come on Tuesday. So they've just announced they're removing it. Oh, thank about, you. It's about to come. Yeah. So this is the last weekend that you can moon, you can do mining of moon fracks, as we call it, at the same way you've been doing it for months and months. Uh, so enjoy it right now. And if you have mined anything from a moon, you need to refine it right now. Refine it before Tuesday patch, because that same material will give you less value if you refine it on Tuesday. They change the refining rates too? No, sir. They change the composition of the stuff. They are changing oh. the composition of the stuff. So what it refines down to will be different and less attractive. I thought there was um, also a grandfather clause, though, for stuff that uh, was... So the process. grandfather clause is if you have a frack in process and, it's, and a, a chunk of the moon is currently moving slowly to your Athenor and uh, it's going to take 30, 45, 60 days to get to the Athenor and be shattered and mined, that is still going to keep going at the rate uh, uh, with the contents of what the moon has today, as opposed to what it will have on Tuesday. But the composition of the material once refined, once you do mine it and then go to refine it, will no longer have all the benefits. So it's only a half a grandfather, so to speak. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for clearing that up. All right, and cool. This is, um, this is kind of the change that people were preparing for and scared about and, and like where the market kind of seized a little bit uh, when it was first announced that there was going to be a, a rebalance and a redistribution of uh, resources. So it's interesting now that we have the news to see how the market is actually going to react. Um, I'm There's not another a huge Sorry. market person, but I have a feeling Tritania might be a, a resource that people are going to start hoarding. If you listen to this and you think, oh, I want to know more about this subject, I would direct you to, sorry about the phone in the background. Uh, I would, uh, sorry. I, what sorry. I would ask you is to look at a talk show yesterday called Push to Talk. And, and please uh, uh, take a look at the guests yesterday, which were CCP Rattati and CCP Goodfella. And they talk a little bit about this. Yeah, it's a good show with uh, developers that actually talk about this subject. Also, we have a YouTube video called Moon Mineral Distribution Update. Check that out because we go for a full hour talking about the changes and their implications. Another video that we have on, on our YouTube channel is the economic report came out for February and that had a few surprises in it. Do you guys happen to review that? Well, we did an hour on that and talked about the details. And one of the interesting things was that uh, fraternity uh, that owns the region of Owasa took the first place in NPC ratting for the first time. They've been building up to it, but that's the first time they actually took it. So they um, beat Delve out for the for the uh, most active routing systems. That was an interesting surprise, but not unexpected. Yeah, I was watching that show and I was I was waiting for it as well. Uh, I knew it was bound to happen. Now that they've kind of moved over towards um, Branch and Tenal in that area, it'll be interesting interesting to see how long it takes them to get that number one spot back again. Yeah. Well, since then, the Imperium has been joined by um, Ranger Regiment. Ranger Regiment, Iron Crown, and Dracarys. Yeah. I kind of thought Iron Crown was no more. Is it, are they? I, I don't know what their status was, but Dracarys for sure. 
Well, Iron Crown and Dracarys are kind of like a, um, a, a, a combination in the same, in a similar way to the Initiative and Initiative Mercenaries are a combination. Oh, They're both run by the same leader, Gone with Windy, as opposed to Sister Bliss. <laughs> and uh, it's just, uh, I, I think of them that way, but that's because that's yeah. the cultural reference I have in the Imperium. So, so Dell might compete pretty hard for NPC ratting uh, title. Uh, so we'll see what happens in March, and that's already and, and that's already happened. So we'll see in March what those numbers look like. Another thing in the economic report for February, it was very interesting, surprising, was how much mining is going on in Domain. I couldn't figure that out, but also Dodixie appears to be back as a trade hub. Uh, the trading in Dodixie is has skyrocketed. It's taken uh, its place as third, third place again behind uh, Jita, which just dwarfs everybody. And then, of course, Amarian, uh, Amar, uh, which is a, uh, the Amarian trade hub. And then it was, a, it used to be Dodixie, but then for a long time, Delve actually took the third spot. Uh, but Dodixie has just kind of come back with a vengeance. I don't know what's going on there. I wonder if it has anything to do with the, um, we had a show, I don't remember exactly when it was. I want to say three or four months ago. Um, about an individual who was setting up uh, uh, market hubs in different areas of space. And he was like expanding it. He started in Stackmon and kind of moved all around. And I knew, I know that he had like his eyes set on the Dodixie area. Oh, I, wonder that, he, uh, I wonder if he played any role in that. I'd be, I'd be curious to do a follow-up on that. That's cool. I remember that show. That was interesting. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful uh, illustration of the fact that uh, an individual can make a difference in New Eden, even on such a huge server as Tranquility. Yeah, I'm frantically looking for that episode. It was on January 21st called Marketplaces and Ecosystems. So that may be the fruit of that guy's labor. Yeah, or those guys' labor. There's a few of them. That was uh, Smog890 and Avio Yankin. Yeah. Good. Thanks for reminding me. I should have remembered that. Uh, also, I think Ashtarothi and a few other guys, Malro apparently, which has become very big in faction warfare, um, also dedicated themselves to Dodixie. So they may be doing some, some, uh, I think, abyssal trading there or some of the materials that come from those uh, conduit sites and stuff like that. So they kind of want to make that the home of Triglavian gear. Oh, that makes sense. That would actually make a ton of sense. Uh, I... I kind of had those two ideas in my head, but I never connected them. I know Malro is uh, basing around Odixie, and uh, that would definitely uh, tip the scales for them. Yeah. So anyway, Dodixie is back. And I, that's my, I got to say, that was my original home. So got a soft spot for it. I didn't move to, to, to Kaldari for many years later. Okay. And then there's a few other things. We had an interview. I thought this was a really interesting interview with uh, Chasa from Horde. We talked about his latest escapades, uh, ambushing big fleets. And he's taken, uh, he took a big bite out of the Imperium by, um, with some friends wiping out half or a third of a locust fleet a while back. Pittsburgh was part of that one. And then he also uh, engineered an ambush that happened to XIX and Razor, I believe. Uh, and that was more recently. And that was like half a trillion in damages. So that interview is called FC Chasu. And incidentally, that's where uh, Vili and him started talking about the name uh, Tappy, which we'll just reference now as, as one of the topics. And that, went, that moment went viral. <laughs> so 
plug for that. So if you saw that clip, you should just listen to the rest of the episode too, because it was good and uh, very informative. Chasu is pretty uh, kind of a newer, I don't want to say newer name. He's been around for a while, but uh, in my yeah. head, because my head goes back to like 2006 at Eve, he's a newer name and it's fascinating to see uh, how he works and uh, like how he plans these, these big fights. Uh, there's so much work that goes into these things that you can't really see uh, until you hear how the FC like uh, sets it up. Yeah, wormholes and whaling are two uh, gameplay styles that create, they need a lot of preparation to get it right and, and good timing and execution and stuff. Uh, a couple of FCs in general, any, uh, a lot of them, their style of work requires tons of prep, especially for a war. There's just huge amounts. And the average New Eden line member does not understand how much preparation goes into any of these things. Tons. Yeah. So a couple other things. Uh, we also had an Eve Echoes show. Uh, you can catch that on YouTube as well. It's called Eve Echoes Updates. Uh, and that was run by Who's a Fish. Uh, she's our resident uh, Eve Echoes expert. And so giving you an update on what's going on with Eve Echoes. It's uh, still not released yet, but that for anybody who doesn't know, Eve Echoes is Eve Online on your mobile phone. It's a different universe, but same game, same references. And finally, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it's the same, same, but, but completely different. Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's very fun. It's just the same universe. Uh, last thing is we did March uh, patch notes. So check that out. That's just called March Patch Notes. Uh, all these are on our daily shows for Talking in Stations that we put on YouTube. And, um, but uh, one other special show that we did that actually made it to podcasts that you've probably heard by now is an interview with Braxis of HK. Uh, that, went for, that was on the eve of HK destroying another wormhole group. Um, so we had Braxis on. He talked with some people and, and then we had the, the people that he was uh, kind of talking about show up as well. And so they got into a discussion. It was actually very mature uh, on that same program. So if you're a wormholer, that was a great episode for uh, a very rare uh, listen to Braxis from HK, the leader of HK. And one last thing I'd like to say is that all, all the time we're concerned about everybody in all over the world that plays EVE Online and the in that, that we're all hiding from this virus and hunkering down. And we have a show called Quarantined In Stations, where we actually bring you news of uh, how to understand and protect yourself in this situation that we're all in. And we had a great one hour, actually it was a two hour episode uh, called Tiberius on COVID-19. Tiberius is an actual physician in real life. And he actually had the virus and is getting better now. Uh, but he was walking us through all the uh, questions that we had. And so it's a great review of um, real life stuff. It's called Quarantined in Stations. You should have made us all have our masks ready to put on our face for this <laughs> promo moment. Then, then we could have uh, put, you know, supported uh, you visually. I liked what uh, Push to Talk did. They have a, a grid of four videos for all the guys that are talking. And one of the videos uh, was a good fella and he was pushed away <laughs> to create some social distancing virtually because <laughs> he had a oh, cold. Oh, is that what that meant? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it looked awkward, but I thought that was pretty funny. Anyway, so that's the news. Uh, check out those videos. 
I have one thing also to ask you guys to keep your eyes open for this week. Actually, there's a couple things coming this week. There's another dev blog coming about the mineral distribution. Probably my guess is Wednesday, but it'll come sometime this week. There's also, we're also waiting for the CSM minutes in the new bullet point format that are supposed to come soon. But the thing I'm really uh, telling you guys to watch for is a trailer. Next weekend would have been Eve FanFest 2020. And there was a beautiful trailer made for it. I haven't seen it yet. I've heard about it. And I don't know when they're going to release it, but my guts say it'll be sometime this week. And if you want to stop what you're doing and watch it at least twice, just saying. Yeah, if you uh, if you've ever been if you've never been to FanFest, I should say, whenever they release these trailers, um, they always play them at least twice back to back because uh, after like one of the very first ones, like the chants from the audience were like, play it again, play it again. And that's all you could hear. So uh, I guess that's kind of a custom type thing. So they always play the thing twice. So you should too. Just keep it up. It's like FanFest, but, uh, but in your house. What is happening with FanFest now that nobody's actually traveling? Um, I will say this. If you did have tickets to go to FanFest, um, Iceland, this is a bit of a tangent of what you asked, Matt. I'm sorry. Iceland there is beginning to, it seems like they're canceling flights about three days beforehand, which means you get a full refund on, on your flights. Um, so if you were still on the, on the area where you couldn't get uh, your money back from your flights, hold out hope. It's, it's coming. You're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, you can either rebook your flights for a future date or they'll give you a refund to use at a, another time too. So you're good to go. Other than that, I have no idea. Yeah, so we're, we're hearing April 2nd is when the trailer will drop. Uh, look for that. It's supposed to be really good. People are excited about it that have seen it. Um, and I think, it's, I think there's something going on with CCP during when FanFest should happen, which is around April 2nd. Uh, so um, maybe look for some announcements, look for some big news. We'll, we'll know more when it happens. I do know that CCP TV today is going to have their inaugural um, like showing, I guess we, we want to have it, call it like that. Oh, um, they did announce CCP TV was a project that they were starting in the beginning of uh, this year. CCP Fleabix. Um, I don't know what he did before, but they, wow. um, they, well, announced did you <laughs> they announced that, yeah, he's not Weedavix as we called him before. He's CCP Fleabix. He is uh, running uh, CCB TV, that project over there. He's uh, revamped it. And today at 19.30 Eve time, so in about two hours, um, they're doing a uh, clear skies uh, viewing party with uh, the guy who made it, Ian Chisholm. Uh, so there's going to be like director's commentary running through it. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, I know a lot of people somehow haven't heard of clear skies. It's um, I think it's from 2008, 2010, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. It's a player made like uh, machinima video um, about uh, I forget the guy's name. It tells a story. Yeah, it's a, it tells a story about uh, some some fictitious capsuleers and their life in New Eden. And it's very fun. Uh, it's it's a fun watch. It's, it's cheesy and enjoyable in all the right ways. So I should be on CCB TV today. I'm not familiar with that term, Machinimo. What's that? Uh, they get like little avatars from other games. I think these guys are from Half-Life 2 or Halo or something like that. Or no, not Halo. I mean, they did Half-Life 2. Um, and so they got these little avatars walking through space and they're walking through uh, 
the decks of what's, what they call a tempest. Machinima is basically making a movie to tell a story, but instead of using human actors to move around in it, you use characters from a game. So it could be any game, uh, but they, that has you know characters and and enough freedom to move around and control them. Uh, but uh, uh, Clear Skies is just the most famous uh, example of a series of motion pictures made in the Eve engine. And uh, I, I imagine they'll spend a little time on how he made it, for example, because initially he just had to use the regular Eve client like everyone else. A little bit later on, he um, got very special, very rare permission from CCP to use an internal build of the Eve client called Jessica that is built for art purposes and the the artists and the, the, the people who make trailers inside the game, like the trailer we're excited about this week, were almost certainly made partly in Jessica. So he'll talk a little bit about that. But, you know, it, we've got a little piece up on the screen right now. And obviously those parts, he you know, parts where they're in a station, he had to use other tools for that. Because we didn't, you know, we didn't have station, in-station tools at those times. There was no walking in stations. No, sir, there was not. Yeah, this predates walking in stations. So he he yeah. walked before CCB let us walk yeah. in Karna. But yeah, it's a very fun thing. It's like Eve history, and if you got nothing else going, if your Netflix queue is is tapped out, like I know a lot of people are, it's definitely worth a watch if you haven't uh, seen it before. And it's uh, it's John Rourke. He's the the captain of the uh, of the Clear Skies, which is a tempest. So it's coming up coming up soon on CCP's channel. It's a nineteen thirty Eve time today. So that's just in a couple hours. Um, yeah, you could tell it's old, probably 2008, because it's a three by four uh, aspect ratio. It's not this widescreen stuff. <laughs> it's wild. But check it out. It's a movie. I think there were three parts to it. And you're going to have the director there, too, to kind of talk about it, which would be cool. All right. Anything else, guys? Oh, the, the thing I was going to say, uh, Elise, was, uh, was it, was it Fleabix? What's his name? CCP. Fleabix, yeah. CCP Fleabix. Yeah, he had a, they did a, a trial run and he had some technical problems that he was trying to tackle. It really felt like he was wrestling an octopus. Uh, it was just getting the best of him. And then I finally, I think they went off air finally, he and uh, dopamine. So uh, hopefully they worked out their bugs and, uh, and we'll see what, what, what happens with them. All right. Um, so you guys have anything else? If not, we are done. I want to say thanks to uh, Kanan for hanging out with us. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks I'll again for having me. To, uh, I'll be excited to watch what you guys get up to. Uh, I'll, I'll be stalking you on the killboards, but it's 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 like a, a nice stalking, not like a creepy stalking. Yeah, feel <laughs> feel free to stalk us as we uh, relearn the principles of small gang and uh, all the pitfalls and differences compared to that versus block warfare and stuff like that. Please give my best to Zintage and Ashcrawl and Thomas and Mapache. Oh, they'll they'll all be watching the show, so they'll get directly. Thank you. Thank awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us. 235. I, that's uh, pretty good. Well, it's nice to see our crowd, our live crowd get bigger. There's a little more interest there, but we've always had really strong numbers on podcast and stuff, but it's nice to see the actual live crowd. I think you guys came to see Kanan, listen to uh, uh, what what's going on in the world. Uh, thank you, Carneros. Thank you, Elise. And of course, McLeod, our engineer, putting up the stuff. And uh, thanks, January, for putting the show together as a producer. 
We will uh, raid somebody in just a minute, and we will see you next time on Talking in Stations. <laughs>